I'm good. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Oh, mercy. It's the T.C. Martin Show. And here we go. Get ready for the fourth quarter of game number four. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Hammy's going to let one fly. Chance of three. Chance of three. What a three from half court. Are you kidding me? T.C. Martin. There are six seconds to go, and De-Energizer hit a wild, crazy, improbable three to give the Aces the lead. The doctor is now in. In, in, in. And a good Thursday afternoon to you, T.C. Martin, Ballpark Frank. We are live at the Thomas and Mack Center for the NBA Summer League Extravaganza. It has turned into quite a long-standing tradition here in Las Vegas since 2004. Obviously, last year, a hiatus was taken, but we are back. I've uh, been broadcasting here for the last oh, several years, and uh, glad to be back here at the Thomas & Mack Center on the concourse. So if you're rolling out to the NBA Summer League to see some of this fantastic NBA action with uh, the rookies and the second-year guys, come on by and see us. We are here in front of portal number 34. Uh, sections of 115, 114, and always good to be here at the NBA Summer League here uh, at the Thomas and Mack Center. Ballpark Frank, uh, I think this is the first time you and I have actually been together at the Summer League. Yeah, uh, I've been out here several times, obviously, as you have. I remember when it started out, it was mainly in the Cox Pavilion, and they put some of the games over here. Now it's uh, growing into a gigantic thing. It's one of the biggest things of the summer out here. Actually, where I'm sitting right now, right in, sex, uh, right in front of Section Portal 34, I can still see the screen with the Bulls and the T-Wolves. So 38-37 uh, <laughs> right now if you uh, want updates on that game. But, um, but yeah, the Summer League going on. Uh, pretty much every team comes out here now. It's a fantastic event, and uh, you know, see the stuff. Stars of the future on the court and uh, see a lot of stars of the past off the court as well. And I know we got a big one coming up here on the show. You got that right. All right. So uh, great show on tap here today at the Summer League like we normally do. Uh, we like to reach out to a lot of NBA uh, guys and guests, uh, you know, past and, and, and current. Uh, today, Spencer Haywood, the NBA Hall of Famer, he is going to stop by and join us. Not only Spencer Haywood, an NBA champion, a four-time All-Star, but... Uh, also, an Olympic gold medalist back in the day. So, very interested to talk to Spencer regarding his time, the 1968, you know, Mexico Olympics. Uh, you know, that was a great basketball team. Uh, that was the Olympiad before the travesty that took place with USA and Russia in 72. Remember that. And also the games, you know, with Tommy Smith and John Carlos, which we've talked about, you know, before uh, as well, too. So, uh, yeah, Spencer Haywood uh, had a great career with uh, several teams, uh, the Lakers, the Supersonics, uh, just uh, a fantastic player. Lives here in Las Vegas now. You can see him uh, around quite a bit, but uh, still making the trek around the country. A lot of guest appearances and was inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame in 2015. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because when you see a guy like Spencer Haywood and then you realize you're at an event here like the Summer League and you kind of look at these young players on the court and, you know, a lot of the draft picks, guys trying to make NBA rosters, guys just cutting their teeth and starting their careers i don't know about you but sometimes i look down there and i wonder do all these people know what a guy like spencer haywood what he meant to the game what he meant to what their opportunities today and everything because he fought the nba and a lot of the stuff like that long before uh, you know we saw the guys that are are fighting uh, uh, today and that you know for their likenesses in college and that but i mean he literally risked uh, maybe not having a career a lot of different things so he went out there and said no this isn't right the way things are done and, uh, you know, put a lot of... Uh a lot of the emphasis on himself. Uh, in, in my opinion, I always thought of Spencer uh, Haywood as kind of the Kurt Flood of the NBA. Yeah, that is very true. Absolutely. So look forward to talking with uh, one of the all-time NBA greats, uh, Bill Lambeer, another one of the great NBA players of the past. And, of course, the head coach of the Las Vegas Aces. He is going to join us this hour as well. And our good friend from the Las Vegas Review-Journal, Sam Gordon, uh, he will be uh, stopping by as well, too. And Sam's been doing a fantastic job of covering the the NBA Summer League and all these games here like he traditionally does each and every year. And uh, Albert Hall, who is the Vice President of Business Operations regarding the NBA Summer League, he's scheduled to join us. So action-packed show here today at the Thomas & Mack Center. And come on by and see us in sec section in front of Section 115, 114, Portal 34. 
And uh, just we, down from the trophy. Just down from there the trophy. There is an NBA Summer League trophy. Yes, yes, and that that definitely uh, happens every year here, where they pass this thing out uh, to the winning team. Very shiny. It, very shiny, and uh, <laughs> it's probably the most, uh, you know. Um, Taking picture of everybody who comes, the, the guy who's taking the pictures there, he must snap about a thousand of those a day uh, at least. And uh, we got to another uh, opportunity for snapshots, uh, you know, right to the other side of us too with all of these uh, NBA jerseys. So, yeah. And, and this is good that, uh, you know, that we're back here. It's good that fans are back here because normally this is a really hustling and bustling, uh, you know, time of year, the NBA Summer League. Usually it is during the month of July, and now everything got pushed back because of the NBA season. The NBA Finals just concluded three, four, you know, three weeks ago, and uh, you know now here we are uh, at the Summer League in August. So there is really no off season for any of these NBA players or these NBA teams, and you know for these coaches and for these executives of their staff. I mean, they've got to put together a roster here pretty quick because training camp is is about five weeks away. Yeah, training camp is coming up for a lot of these guys going to the NBA. Then the other guys have to figure out where they're going to fit in with the G League. And then still other ones are, hey, uh, let's open in Europe and everything. So, yeah, everything is condensed now. But at least now when we're talking about condensed, at least the 2021 Summer League is in 2021. Right. It's not like the 2020 Olympics in 2021 or right. something. So it, it, we're, we're still a little pushed back, but at least we're, we are in the same calendar year. <laughs> this is true. All right, so the NBA Summer League schedule, if you are planning on coming out today, uh, a lot of great uh, matchups. Like Frank mentioned right now, the Bulls and the T-Wolves are playing uh, here at the Thomas and Mack Center. A uh, game just concluded uh, with the uh, Spurs and, and Charlotte. That's in the Cox Pavilion. Remember, both uh, your ticket is good for both venues here, the Thomas and Mack Center or the Cox Pavilion. Just looking at the schedule, the Washington Wizards will play the Brooklyn Nets at 2 o'clock in the Cox Pavilion. At 3 o'clock, it'll be the Pacers and the Trailblazers here in the Thomas and Mack Center. 4 o'clock, uh, Orlando and Boston in the Cox Pavilion. At 5 o'clock, it'll be the Rockets and the Raptors in the Thomas and Mack Center. 6 o'clock tonight, the 76ers and the Hawks, a couple perennial playoff teams there in, inside the Cox Pavilion. At 7 o'clock, the final game tonight, the Suns and the Nuggets. So talk about a matchup there at the Thomas and Mack Center here tonight. But like you said, the NBA Summer League, it started in 2002 in Orlando, and uh, that ran all the way through 2017. Really was in competition with the Summer League here in Vegas because you've got to remember, you know, Back in those days, everybody tried to do their own little thing. Mm -hmm. And California tried to do theirs. Actually, if you want to go back to the inception of the NBA Summer League, a little trivia for you, it all started in Salt Lake City in Utah. And it really wasn't called the NBA Summer League at that point in time. It was like the Utah Jazz Invitational. And if you remember, they had just moved from New Orleans. And our, you know, our guest coming up today, Spencer Haywood, played on that New Orleans Jazz team with Pistol Pete yeah. Maravich. When, when the Jazz name made sense. It, exactly. Now, <laughs> what does that mean? And now we don't even know what the colors are of the Jazz. I mean, you know, like I said, I like calling the flaming hot Cheetos on, uh, right now. And, and any given night, it could be something different. Right. I thought it was interesting, too, because when you mentioned that the Raptors are playing, are they – the Toronto Raptors again, or are they still the Tampa Bay Raptors? That's a good call. Yeah, I think they're back to Toronto. And, and they anticipate playing an entire season in their home in Toronto uh, in this coming season. But uh, Because they did not do the moniker of Tampa Bay when they were down there. Right, correct, correct. <laughs> So, yeah, it goes, it goes back a, a long way. And back in those days in Utah, it was just an invitational that they were trying to get fans to get used to NBA basketball. And they would have, you know, the jazz players, you know, play. And then anybody else that wanted to come on down and play. It was just a local event there in Salt Lake City. Then a lot of the NBA owners looked at this thing and said, you know, this is kind of a cool concept. Let's get our guys, you know, some reps and some workouts. And especially after the draft. Let's uh, let's see if if we can get our guys in some game type of action. Yeah, let's organize it. Yeah, let's organize it. And then it, it did get organized, you know, you know, a little bit after that. But again, yeah, Orlando started it, and then Vegas, you know, obviously, uh, you know, two thousand and four with only six teams, and uh, then it expanded to basically everybody in two thousand and eighteen. But it slowly and gradually developed, and then became like kind of a must. Not just a must-see event, but a must-attend event. And like we talk about all the time, too, for fans coming here, I always like to say it's kind of like a, a, a state fair of a carnival because you can see just about 
any NBA superstar at some point in time, they'll be here. Yesterday, Steph Curry was here. Uh, Draymond Green was here, donning his Olympic gold medal. Uh, you know, I don't know if he had LeBron's, uh, you know, tequila, you know, with him. Like last time, you know, we, we saw him watching some some games. But, uh, yeah, you never know who you're going to see. Steve Kerr is here, obviously, you know, watching his team. Obviously, the NBA coaches are not coaching their teams. But uh, usually, this, you know, one of their assistants is. But the NBA coaches are here. They're scouting. So, yeah, you, you can run into uh, many, many, uh, like you said, players of the past or even current players in the NBA here at the NBA Summer League. Well, and it's interesting, too, because when you're talking about when the Summer League started here in Vegas and everything, remember before that, for people that are maybe new out here that weren't around back in those days, the summer belonged to the high school kids out here in Vegas, and there's still a ton of high school tournaments. But the games used to be played in the North and South Gym right Correct. here on the campus of UNLV before the Summer League was here, and they needed. The Cox Pavilion wasn't even built. I, I coached the, in those games yeah, way back yeah, when. Yeah, the Thomas yeah. and Mac yeah. was empty. Yeah. You know, I mean, I remember yeah. watching players like, you know, Felipe Lopez, yeah. and, you know, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of New the New York City Gauchos, by the you way. You know, uh, uh, Kevin Garnett was playing, <laughs> yeah. I believe, with Ronnie Fields on yep. the Chicago team back right. then. Fields was thought gonna, he, was going, he was going to be one of the superstars but he couldn't shoot, and then, of course, he had an accident uh, driving a car that uh, maybe he shouldn't have been with the Paul and that. But, but yeah, I mean, the, the high school kids in basketball were super popular out here, and they drew pretty well. Now they, I don't want to say they've been relegated, but now they're kind of spread out all over the city to all the different high schools everywhere because the Summer League has really taken over the campus here at UNLV with the Cox and the Thomas and Mac. You can't turn on ESPN or the NBA channel or something without seeing games all over the place. This has really taken on a life of its own and become probably bigger than they ever thought it was going to be. They knew it was going to be bigger than the six teams. I don't know if they ever dreamt that it was going to become what it is. Yeah, thir- all 32 teams have been here since 2018, even prior to that i mean you know going back you know 15 years they expanded you know from the six teams to 16 teams and then it basically went to 24 teams and then it was just all but two or three teams up until 2018 uh they said okay let's 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 make this uh, official and get everybody involved and who wouldn't want to be involved in this but you know the nba summer league should be credited too and we've talked about this in years past for the teams like the Las Vegas Aces, the Vegas Golden Knights, and the Las Vegas Raiders coming here because the, we, it's always been the entertainment capital of the world. Then it became the boxing capital of the world, as we know, going back to the late 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And then, you know, when, you know, UNLV had its, you know, height and fame, I would say, you know, probably in the late 80s and early 90s. I mean, yes, this drew the attraction of the NBA. And because they would draw, you know, close to 200,000 fans to come see this over this 10 or 11 day span. That caught, got the attention of Bill Foley and the Vegas Golden Knights. It got the attention, obviously, of the WNBA, you know, for the Aces to come here. And, of course, the NFL with the Raiders and the way Las Vegas continued to grow. And you mentioned the, the contracts with the television. I mean, just about every game is on one of the ESPN family of networks. And, and not only that, you mentioned how it drew the attention of those other leagues. It also drew the attention a lot more of the NBA for things like Team USA basketball yes. and the Olympics and even in non-Olympic years and that to come out Remember here and the do their practices and everything. Back. So, yeah, yep. so, I mean, it, it, it really was kind of a, 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 a seed that was planted in that just grew into this gigantic redwood or something like that. And uh, But, yeah, I mean, it was the precursor to a lot of stuff and probably is also it's almost ironic that the NBA isn't here yet but it does seem like just a matter of time before an NBA team does land in Vegas. I mean that's a big question. What comes first? Uh, the NBA or Major League Baseball or uh, Major MLS? League Soccer, MLS, <laughs> right? Yeah. right? Cuz I mean, there's like three owners right now trying to get yes, MLS out here. Yes. Yeah. As we know the A's seem to be very close about landing a deal here. In, in Las Vegas. Well, they certainly which, want to leave Oakland. Yep. I mean, that's 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 definitely, it, it's going to happen. And again, you know, with the Aviators here being the A's, you know, AAA affiliate, might make it for an easy transition as well. And the big question is, where are they going to play? There's been talk about, you know, possibly the Rio going away. Maybe you build a ballpark there or you expand the ballpark in Summerlin. I know logistically that might be a little bit, a little bit of a problem, but just you've got everything kind of structurized there already with a beautiful ballpark and everything in a great area. So, yeah, these are legitimate 
possibilities there. These are not pipe dreams. Like, you know, we go back, you know, you and I go back to, to the 90s being here. It was like a lot of this stuff was a pipe dream. Talking about the National Hockey League, you know, when you had the Las Vegas Thunder and you had the minor league hockey and that sort of thing. But now this is it's more reality than pipe dreams right now, no matter what we're talking about, any sport, whether it's the NBA, Major League Baseball, or Major League Soccer, or whatever else is down the road. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it seems like forever ago, I mean, remember when the NFL, the only thing the NFL did out here was the arm wrestling at the old Imperial Palace that you'd see on ESPN or something like that. And they were adamant that they would never be in Vegas. And then, you know, oh, they might get a baseball team. Oh, well, Washington just used Vegas as part of the thing to sweeten yeah. the deal there. It was kind of like Vegas became like a bargaining chip to now the, you know, now it's all in with the pot. Now everybody wants to get out here. They're just trying to figure out how to get here in Vegas. Are we going to put an expansion team there? Is it going to be a team that we move there from someplace else? But, yeah, it's no longer a question of does sports work in Vegas? Can we get to Vegas? I mean, what are the, yeah, where are we going to build it? And I don't know about you, but every time I think about them building something, I used to try to figure out where a good place would be. Once they built T-Mobile, because I thought, there's no way they can put an arena in there. There's no room for that. Right. And then they build it, and they're like, okay, I, obviously I don't have that architectural <laughs> mind. I never dreamt that they could do that in there, but the, the parking garages and everything else. So now I just look and I go, okay, well, you know, I don't know exactly where it's going to be, but it's, it certainly feels like it's going to be here sometime and in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, I mean, this literally is turned into the, the sports capital of the world as well, too. And with the success of these teams, you know, that you have with the Golden Knights and you're having the last couple seasons now with the Las Vegas Aces, yeah, it, it just it's, – it's a melting pot where everybody wants to put a team here. And like you said, it seems crazy. Major League Soccer, there are three ownership groups that are battling each other to get here. And, and, and the only thing that you could point at is, well, where are we going to play at? Cashman Field? They'd probably be dying to play there and do some sort of expansion there or, you know, construct another stadium. And, and that's what I keep on hearing, that they're going to do another stadium. And Bill Foley's one of those guys of one right. of those three people bringing him in. And remember, I mean, we talk about Bill Foley and the Vegas Golden Knights and rightfully so, certainly. But, you know. He's also brought a lacrosse team out here that's going to be planned where the Silver Knights play. So, you know, it might not be something that a lot of people figure major league, but it's another entity, another pro sport that's coming here to Vegas. It, it seems like a light years ago that teams like the Roller Derby, the Flash team would come out here or something like that, and they would last a couple seasons and then be gone. Now it all seems like you just kind of expect everything to succeed at least at, you know, a respectable level. Before we leave this topic, uh, you mentioned the arm wrestling championships. How much credit does Sylvester Stallone get for filming over the top here? Well, he was over the top, but I believe that was at the Hilton, and I think the arm wrestling of the NFL was at Imperial Palace when uh, our our friend Jay Cornegay was over there way back then. That's right. The arm wrestling capital of the world, is that what you're trying to say? Las Vegas? You know, know, and he bet on himself, you know. He bet on himself. He had the cojones to bet on himself because he had to say that truck. Yeah, that's true. But he didn't say women weak in legs. Didn't say that. Not in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, plus his legs weren't, you know, it's, it's more the arm in arm wrestling. That's so, true. You know, know. And the grip. The oh, grip is the grip. very important. Unbelievable. You know, you can't go over the top if you don't have the right grip. All right, TC Bart Ballpark Frank here at the Thomas and Max Center for the NBA Summer League. While we're here on campus at UNLV, I did want to touch upon the story about uh, former UNLV athletic director Desiree Reed Francois leaving. Uh, to take a similar position at the University of Missouri. So she left uh, towards the end of last week, and uh, in, in news broke. And every time I'm here, I, I think about it because she had come on the show when we were either doing the NBA Summer League or the Mountain West Conference Championships. We'd be broadcasting live from here. And uh, so I saw a little bit of her press conference today at the University of Missouri as they officially introduced her as a new athletic director. Didn't they present her with, like, a jersey or something? I, I saw something well, there at the podium. Well, I, I want to go back here because <laughs> I remember being at that press conference on April eighteenth, two 2017, and I looked at some of the quotes today from what she had to say, and just kind of curious if I said, mm, that sounds a little bit familiar. Did she plagiarize herself? And, 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 and <laughs> let me look at what she said in 2017. Well, first of all, it starts with the, uh, the dress. All right. So she, she was dressed in red, the rebel red, you know, when she was here in 2017. Today, it was black and gold. I mean, she, obviously, she's going to go ahead and, and, and dress to the nines in the color of, of your new school. So I, I understand that. She's a tiger. So, exactly. So today she says, we want to graduate leaders with a meaningful career path. 
At UNLV, she said, leadership development is at the core of college athletics, and it's important that we create an environment leading to opportunities to positively impact lives and develop leaders and our student athletes and coaches and our staff. So she's condensed her UNLV version of it a bit. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe I condensed it a, a little bit there as well, too. So then uh, today at her press conference, she said, uh, we're going relentlessly to compete, uh, and we are going to win SEC championships. Here on April uh, 18th, 2017, she says, we are going to compete, and we are going to win Mountain West Conference championships. She, she does realize the SEC is a pretty good conference, yeah, right? right. I, I just want to make sure that she's aware of that. And, and at least she didn't say what sports. Right. She didn't say, like, we're going to the football bowl championship or something. Right. So it's – I mean, they, they could win some championship there. I don't, I don't know what other sports Missouri's good at. Well, I mean, in years past, they have been good at basketball. They've been, they they've have been, been they've good been in decent. It, it, they, they've been good in, in football, but again, it's just like we talked about the other day. When you are leaving a conference to you know and to take a step up and go to the SEC, I mean, you're you're asking for uh, <laughs> I don't want to say trouble, but it's going to take a long time before you ingrain yourself in that conference and be able to compete in that conference to be able to recruit, because again. Those stalwarts that, that have been in that SEC for a long period of time, they're not going to just, you know, give away anything to especially someone who's coming from a, another conference that they view is a lesser conference. Yeah, and that's, that's why with Texas and Oklahoma, I mean, for people to think that Texas and Oklahoma is going to compete right away, you're not going to compete right away. And we've seen it, it, you know, with Missouri. We've seen it with uh, Texas A&M. And Texas A&M and Missouri were great programs, especially A&M in football, but they really haven't registered a blip in the SEC. And then same thing with Colorado and Utah winning in the Pac-12. I mean, the Pac-12 has been down, as we know, for the past few seasons, but it's not like neither one of those teams is really tearing it up, especially Colorado. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's interesting, too, because, like you mentioned, her going there, it's a, it's a big hill to climb. Now with the addition of Texas and Oklahoma, the hill just got even bigger. Now mm-hmm. the hill is a mountain to climb. And, yeah, I mean, it, could Missouri have success down the road? Yes, but there's an awful lot of really big game players in there already. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's certainly not going to be easy for her. I don't blame her for leaving. I don't know exactly what the offer was and what all the reasons she left was. But yeah, I mean, it's like you mentioned when some people look and they go, "Well, when you came from, when you come from a place that isn't as highly regarded, when they look at her as being a, you know, the former AD at a Mountain West school, right? That's not going to turn a lot of heads in the SEC and go, "Whoa, look out for that." And you got to remember, I mean, she had served as an associate athletic director at, at Tennessee and in uh, Virginia Tech. So she has the ACC and some SEC, I guess, ties. She knows people there. And the Missouri opening just came about a week and a half ago. And then they immediately, you know, reached out to her. And we knew, we, we had talked about this before, that, that she was job hunting. She was, she was using this as a stepping stone. She always declined that. But we knew that that was the case. And, you know, I mean, good for her. You talk about salary. Her salary at UNLV was 350000 a year, and I know there were some regions, and some people thought that that was a little bit, you know, maybe even excessive, uh, especially you know, you know, considering the, the, the basketball coach makes a little bit more. But um, you know, she's now at Missouri. I, I I wish her the best. I like her, nice person, nice lady. But again, you know, when I hear this press conference today, just a lot of the same verbiage and a lot of the same things uh, were said. One more uh, thing she said today, she goes, we're going to serve as a point of pride and unity for our entire global Mizzou community. Uh, when she was here at UNLV on her opening uh, press conference, she said, uh, she goes, we have pride here at UNLV and together we will, we will build a championship culture that leads to uh, academically and athletic success. Pretty much the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is. But, I but mean, you're going to do that, though. But, I but get again, that. yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, if that's your stuff and you thought it was a good speech there, you know, like, you, you know, you alter a little bit. Maybe you condense things a little bit here yeah. and there. But, yeah, you know, I'm, and, and, and I wish her all the best. It, 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 you know, I yeah. certainly don't wish her any ill will or anything like that. But uh, but it's a tough move for her. Like you said, she has some ties in some respects. But uh, it, it, it's still a tough sell for her going there. Okay. All right. Uh, Spencer Haywood. Is in the house here, and we mentioned uh, him earlier, 
and want to want to bring him in to, to spend a few moments uh, with us right now. Uh, the NBA Hall of Famer, four-time All-Star, NBA champion, 13 seasons in the NBA. And let's don't forget, now he had a season in the ABA, too, where he was the MVP. Talk about that knowledge there, Spencer Haywood, bringing it to you. And uh, he is here at the NBA Summer League joining us. And uh, glad to have you here, my man. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, before I got to that NBA, to that um, MVP season, I also was an Olympic gold medalist. I was going to go and, there with that. I was going to 1968. I'm going there. I set the records yeah. for yeah. the most points. Yeah. History of the Olympics, as well as the highest field goal percentage and the most rebounds. Absolutely. And it lasted for 44 years with the points, but the other two are still hanging on. A scoring machine you were, my man. Yes, sir. No doubt about it. And I rebound, too. Of course you did. Yeah, so uh, that's, that's what keeps me ahead of the you look. You look great today, man. You look 72 bad. years old. 72? I mean, yeah. Come on, man. There's, yeah. no, there's no way. Yeah, it Let is. Let me see your birth certificate. Yeah, it is. I'll show it to you in 1949. I didn't have a birth certificate when I when I was going to the Olympics. Yeah? Because my mother, I was born in Silver City, Mississippi, and uh, I was born by a midwife, and we didn't have birth certificates. Is that right? So they had to send someone down to Silver City to, with my mother, and she said, I have it right here in my Bible, written. And so they had to take a picture of it and then send it to Vital Statistics uh, and created a birth certificate. Here I am today. That is outstanding. A real person. That is. And, 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 <laughs> and, you're, and you're talking taking a picture with an old camera, not your cell phone, and then you text it to no, somebody. No, 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 no. You a, had to go through the whole nine the yards Jackson back then. The Jackson Daily News <laughs> came down to the home because my mother wouldn't let the Bible leave, you yeah. know. Right. Yeah, aside. So that was, that was awesome. But in my first year... In the ABA with uh, the Denver, I was asked to do things that were a little different because I was the first player to play as an underclassman, mm -hmm. and meaning that I hadn't finished four years of college. I had finished two. And the question was, could I do uh, seven points and five rebounds that year? I ended up doing 30 and 20 for the season. Wow. 30 points, 20 yeah, of rebounds. Course, of course. I'm just saying uh, for the course. young guys. Yeah, uh, you yeah know. exactly. Yeah. Th that, that's, that's more than and a double-double, double, the MVP, of rookie of the year, and MVP of the All-Star game, leading scorer, leading rebounder. And I beat out Wilt Chamberlain for the best rookie season ever. Outstanding. Spencer Haywood. I know, yeah. And uh, real quick, I wanted to, to touch with you about the – that Olympic gold medal because some of us are old enough to remember that, 1968, and it was four years before the travesty that happened in 72. 72, yeah. yeah. That, that was crazy. But real quick, your Olympic experience going back to 68, and you see that you know Team USA, again, they win the gold medal this year. But look at you, you look at you're donning. You're donning the face mask of USA basketball. <laughs> yes, I was here with the team before they left for yeah. Tokyo yeah. and uh, spent a lot of time uh, – at a distance with the players and yelling at them from over at uh, the Mendenhall Center. Center, right? Yeah, practicing and talking about this similar situation we were in in 1968 because in 1968 there was uh, riots. There were like uh, the black boycott with Kareem, Elvin Hayes, Wes Unsell, and then we also cut in the trials Rick, uh, Rick Mount, Pistol Pete Mavericks, yeah. who was averaging 44 points yeah. per game right. in NC2A. So it was like, it was the similar similar situation. Mm -hmm. So, And then we were, we lost one exhibition game against the Russians, and, and people didn't realize that, you know, how can this young 19-year-old guy be the leader on this 68 Olympic team? Because <laughs> we never had a 19-year-old or right. a young player play. All of the guys right. used to play were seniors, mm -hmm. so... Uh, it, was, it was a lot of similar things. And, and the guy who broke my record was drafted by the Sonics, <laughs> Seattle Supersonics. And he broke all of my records in Oklahoma, which they used, they moved the records right. from Seattle right. to Oklahoma. Oklahoma it was City. Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, absolutely. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I was there with his draft day when we brought him to Seattle and everything. So it was like, you know, it was pretty cool. Very cool. To wipe right. me out. Spencer, uh, 
I want to ask you if, if uh, we can reconvene with you here a little bit because we got uh, another one of your old nemesis. Uh, you played a little bit uh, after you. Bill Lambier is coming on. Okay. So we got to talk to Bill real quick, but I okay. would love to have you back here after we talk to Bill if that's cool. Okay, as long right. as Bill don't take up a lot of time. E- exactly. <laughs> okay. All right, sounds good. Spencer Haywood in the house. We're going to continue this conversation with him and dive into his career. And uh, the Las Vegas Aces head coach, Bill Lambier, is going to join us next. We are live from the Thomas & Mack Center. It is the T.C. Martin Show on this thunderous Thursday. Hi, this is Bill Lambier, and you're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. We are live here at the NBA Summer League at the Thomas and Max Center. And uh, join us now is the head coach of the Las Vegas Aces and the former NBA star himself, Bill Lambier, joins us. Bill, what's going on, my man? Oh, nothing. Just trying to figure out how we're going to win some more basketball games. All right. Well, before we, we get into that here, there, <laughs> we, we've got an old uh, colleague. I don't know if he's a colleague or a nemesis of yours that just joined us here, and that's Spencer Haywood. So Spencer wanted to, to, to say a few things uh, to you. He wanted us to, to, to say he's, he can hardly wait to get you on the golf course. <laughs> well, I'm working these days. I'm not retired like he is yet, so <laughs> I'm still working. So, also, he said he talked about the guy that that basically recruited you was Will Robinson with the Detroit Pistons, who actually raised Spencer Haywood. It was his dad. Did you were you aware of that? Uh, no, I know that, that Will was a scout for us, and and we in my time slot, and he was a very good scout, knew basketball better than most people, so. Uh, he, he found a lot of players, including Dennis Rodman. Yep, that's what, he, that's what Spencer said, exactly. Yeah. All right, so uh, yeah, we'll visit some more with Spencer here a little bit later. But there it is, yeah. Uh, he, he wanted to give you a shout-out. Okay, I appreciate that. <laughs> All right, my friend, uh, let's talk about – you've been on vacation for the last month. What have you been doing? Well, I went to my farm in Michigan and hung out in a tractor and planted some fields and – Played a couple rounds of golf and uh, just kind of relaxed and prepared for the last part of the season here. Okay, good deal. All right, uh, Bill, let's talk about the Las Vegas Aces in the Olympics. I mean, four players, four gold medals. Uh, how important is that for the organization as a whole to be represented like that, to, to have four players all bring back gold, especially for you know a, a franchise still kind of in its infancy? Well, let's talk about the individuals first. Um, the, the players who are all first-time Olympians, a uh, fair amount of pressure on them all. Uh, and, you know, they all performed and they all won the gold medal. So I think you can never take it away from them. They've always got one in their pocket. Whether they win another one or not remains to be seen. But I'm very happy for them as individuals because they put a lot of work into it. Uh, it just means that we have some good players on our, our basketball team when you have, you know, we, Liz had gone when it has six Olympians plus a draft pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's, it shows that we've acquired a bunch of nice talent uh, and then they played it well together and they're, they're solid team players. Uh, but for the organization, I think it's a, it's a big positive because it gets us more notoriety and publicity and it shows that people want to be in Las Vegas. Is there any plan on, on Sunday or, if not Sunday, Tuesday's game where the, the players are going to you know, be seen uh, you know, with their gold medals to the fans? Any type of a ceremony planned for that? I would assume so. I'm focused on the X's and O's of the basketball team, not the front office of what's happening you know, pre, pre or post game. Uh, but I would assume it's that's normal practice. They're going to get recognized, and you know the crowd gets to yell and holler, and they wave at them, and then we go play basketball. That's it. See, before I mean that stuff would run through you, but now you're saying, no, I just want to take care of the basketball stuff. Yeah, <laughs> right? I'm just I'm, by my choice. I'm just the coach. I don't need all the right. other headaches. I'm 64, and I just want to focus on. Just keep it simple, stupid. There it is. Bill Lambier joins us here. We are broadcasting live from the Thomas and Max Center, the NBA Summer League. We're talking Las Vegas Aces, T.C. Martin, along with Ballpark Frank. Bill, did you get a chance to see much of the Olympic basketball? And if so, what did you think of it with the ladies in, uh, in both the 5-on-5 five five and the 3-on-3, three three, which was, of course, of course, news this year? Well, first I watched the 3-on-3, three three, which is very chaotic. Um, you know, it, it's, it happens so fast. It's 12-second shot clock and... You have to take the ball out past the three-ball line. So it was interesting to watch. Um, still don't understand how it's really a sport, but it is. 
Mm. Uh, and I think that, you know, it's a niche thing. Uh, it, it, it takes a special person, and then they really have to pay attention every second of every, it only lasts for 15 minutes, and it's over. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. or first of 21 wins, and so it, it, it goes very quickly. It was interesting to watch. Uh, the five-on-five five basketball, it was clear that we had the best team by far. Uh, while we have had the best team pretty much for the last seven Olympics. So it was just a foregone conclusion. I think that they were going to win the gold medal was just about how it all played out and who was actually playing for the silver and the bronze. So going back to the three-on-three, Bill, uh, four players are on the three-on-three rosters, and 50% of them were were aces. You had Kelsey Plum and Jackie Young was a late addition. Do you know how Jackie got into the mix there? And we understand that, uh, you know, she, they were looking for a substitution there the day before they were going to, to leave. And do you know how Jackie got on that team? Yeah, Jackie had, had participated in three-on-three tournaments uh, in the offseason. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it's a weird thing about the three-on-three. It's, it's a qualifying by number of times you play, uh, you know, how many tournaments you enter, how well you do in some of those tournaments. So, you know, they were talking like, oh, there's this, this player from Podunk country is the best player in three-on-three basketball. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean they're the best player. It means they played the most qualifying events and have accumulated the most points. So what Jackie did was one of the people who did participate in three-on-three uh, qualifying tournaments around the world. So she had experience and she had a number that was probably the next in line. And so she got her opportunity. That is interesting. I don't think a lot of people uh, knew that. I think a lot of people thought, well, hey, they need another player. Here's a Las Vegas uh, Aces player. Uh, let's, let, let's, let's have her go. And, you know, her and Plum have played together, but that, that wasn't the case at all. It's, uh, no, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's all done on points, and, and it's unfortunate. It hurts the United States players, the professional players, because they're locked up with the WNBA so much and overseas commitments. Uh, so... I won't call it second-tier players, but I would say that there's a niche right. for a lot of players around the world to get into three-on-three basketball and not have to compete against some of the major stars like an Asia Wilson or Brianna Stewart and people like that um, because they're going to play the five-on-five end of the business. You know, we've talked a lot about Kelsey Plum this year, how she's come back from the injury, and, and she had a very good first half for the Aces. What do you think of, of Plum's play in the Olympics, and, and Wells Jackie, too, in the three-on-three? Well, I thought they all learned they had to play defense. Um, I asked them all, and they both said the same thing. Like that defense really was a big key to the three-on-three. It didn't sound like it should be, but it is. Uh, I, I told Plum when she got back, she has to slow down because – at 12-second shot clock, you have to run out there, break next speed, get behind the line, and when the ball comes your way, you have to shoot quick. Well, that doesn't necessarily fly in our league. Um, shooting percentage in three-on-three doesn't mean a whole lot. In five-on-five, it means everything. Mm-hmm. So it's a whole different world. So she had to like, take a little breather after the three-on-three part when she came back to practice five-on-five. It's like, just slow down just a little bit more. It's a different game. All right. Asia Wilson, I mean, seeing her play for you is one thing, but what about watching her play in the Olympic Games with the likes of Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi, who each have five gold medals now as Olympians? And literally, Bill, you can make the argument that, you know, you can throw Brianna Stewart in there and Brittany Griner, of course, but Asia looked like, if not the best player, one of the best players during this whole Olympic tournament. Well, she is one of the best players to begin with. Uh, she learned a lot. Also, she learned about herself. I asked her, and she said, you know, she learned that if she really puts her mind to it and exerts herself, she's a really good basketball player, which is a big step for her to acknowledge that she has attained a certain status. Uh, and once you attain that status, you know, it becomes easier. The game slows down. And playing with, you know, the people who've already been there, done that, and their patience that they have, I, I used uh, Sylvia Fowles as an example, and she agreed with that one. That you know, they, they they know how to do it, they know what's expected, and they just go out and do it. And that's something Asia is learning. The Olympics helped, no question about that. Now her next step is to try to win a championship in the WNBA. When it comes to somebody like Asia Wilson, who, like you mentioned, everybody knows is one of the best players in the world, and she's had a lot of success with the Aces and throughout her career. But how important was it? 
in your opinion, that when she practices with a team like Team USA and plays against all those other players in practices and scrimmages and with them as well, that, you know, she plays against the other best and she knows that she not only belongs but she excels. It kind of reminds me of the old adage of steel sharpened steel that, you know, that's probably got to help her even more. And, you know, going into the second half of the season coming back, I would imagine that you're thinking, okay, now she's really going to shine and maybe help us try to make a run to win that title. Well, it's two different worlds. Um, in, in USAB, you know, she's one of great players. And then while she shines at times, it's still, you know, one of great players. In the WNBA, she's the best player on the team, and more is inquired of her. So there's more of a responsibility. And she acknowledged that during an interview during the, the Olympics that, you know, her role is much different at USAB than it is with Las Vegas Aces. Uh, you're not going to play as many minutes. You're not counting on to do the lion's share of the scoring. Uh, and, you know, it's just a whole different world. But it does help her, you know, in the long run, you know, the, as I said, the patience uh, that she realizes now that she belongs in the elite, and now it's a matter of channeling that patience into success on the court for the Aces. Bill, you mentioned uh, Liz Cambage, you know, not playing with the Australian team amid some controversy. Uh, how aware were you what had transpired with that, and how's Liz doing? I didn't really pay attention to it. Uh, you know, I knew that there was an incident. Uh, Dan Padover really puts, you know, was the one that was really more in the middle of that one. Uh, you know, and Liz, you know, the whole Australian Olympic thing was all a mess to begin with. And, you know, she, she skipped the last couple of games here. I was disappointed, but I was proud of her that she chose to go with her national team. The national team kind of stuck it to her. Um, but I think you know now she's been practicing for a few days. She's in great spirits. Uh, she looks like she has a, a, the world off her, off her shoulders, and she wants to still play basketball, which is a great thing for her. Bill Ambier joins us as we get ready for the Aces to start uh, the second half of the season, even though it's kind of really less than second half. They have 11 games left. How concerned are you about the fatigue level of the four Olympians, and uh, what has this week been like? Have they, have they all been back and, and ready to practice? Well, I'm not concerned about the Olympians because they were practicing and they were playing during the time. It's the others who had all that time off and really didn't have an opportunity to play competitive basketball or practice or stay sharp. So I think the Olympians will be fine. The other ones are going to be the ones that are going to struggle a little bit trying to get their conditioning. How much have you kept in touch with the other players to find out what they have been doing during this break to make sure that uh, they have been doing the right things, getting ready for this stretch uh, leading up to the playoffs? I did. That's the assistant coach's job and the general manager's job. I was going on vacation to go on my farm and get on my tractor. Um, <laughs> The uh, you know they, everybody has a responsibility individually to try to stay in best shape as they can. It's always a crapshoot every time you have the Olympics um, because the season's so hard and the pressure's so great, and everybody wants to take a break. Getting back on the horse is difficult. Uh, it takes some self motivation, and you know some teams are going to be a little more advanced than others. Hopefully, uh, we're in the middle of the pack conditioning wise, and our talent takes over. Wait, you say get on the horse or get on the tractor? Well, the players got to get back on the horse and going back to practice. That's the hard part. They're the ones that actually do the lion's share of their physical work. And, you know, make no mistake, taking time off and, and relaxing and trying, to, and trying to gear it back up uh, during an Olympic break is tough. Uh, it's always been tough. All the Olympics that I've, I've watched happen, uh, it's just, it's just oh, I've got to go play. Oh, I have to really run. Oh, we're going to run some more. And, it's just, it, it takes a while to get back in the groove. Mm. All right, the Aces 15 and 6, 11 games left. You got five of those games will be at home at the Michelob Ultra Arena. How are you feeling about where you're at right now? Well, I think we've, uh, you know, gave away a couple of games, but we may have won a couple of games. So pretty much right where we were supposed to be, I think. Um, you know, it's going to be a very tough stretch. We play a lot of very quality teams. Uh, we haven't played Chicago at all. We're going to play them three times. Uh, so I think, you know, we're like everybody else. We're positioning, we position ourselves right now to have an opportunity to get a, a seed, a one of the top four seeds. Now, how we perform in the last 11 games is going to dictate where we're at there. Uh, but I think, you know, overall, it's about where I expected to be. Now let's see what happens in the last part. All right. 
As you know, Bill, we're broadcasting live from the NBA Summer League here at the Thomas and Mack Center. Uh, just a little kind of a cross question here regarding the WNBA and the NBA. How supportive has the WNBA been uh, towards the WNBA, not only just this year, but say in recent years? And talk a little bit about you know that development. Has is it been pretty much the same, or has it really increased over the last couple of years? Well, I'll go back to the start. 25 years ago, the NBA was the only ones with the teams. They were all owned by NBA teams and the whole package like that. And then, you know, it kind of changed in the middle slots where, you know, independents came in and teams, men's teams that were struggling on the men's side, you know, moved their team to somebody else. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the interaction with the players uh, in that time was not uh, that great either. Uh, but I think in the last five to eight years, um, the players, the men players, have really been supportive of the women's league. Yeah, very outspoken and very in the ten games, and really trying to propel uh, the women's game to new heights. And the men's side, from a, a financial situation, has all, has been very supportive in the last few years. Also, they realize now that the WNBA is finally getting to the point where. It's going to be making money for some of the teams, whether it might be on an annual basis, but on a franchise uh, growth of dollars. So I believe that you're going to see teams, whether it's an expansion or teams moving for a much higher number of purchase price than has ever been in the past. And that's a big positive growth step. Bill, when it comes to your team this year, now that you're about two-thirds of the way through the season getting ready for the final regular 11 games of the regular season, what have you learned about your team over the course of this season that you maybe didn't know about it going into the year? Uh, yeah, we're probably – we're quite Williams is a better defender than I thought she was, which has been a big positive for us. I think uh, Kelsey Plum is starting to realize how to really play basketball and get the most out of her talent in a team game. Uh, getting Liz back again, um, you know, in, ingraining her into everybody. Uh, she's made tremendous sacrifices this year. I think sacrifice probably is the, is the most important word that we can use for our team because we have a lot of great players that can get more stats you know, on other teams or being selfish. And I think that everybody's kind of been in for the hole so far. Uh, it's worked well for us. Now it has to continue. All right. The Aces back in action Sunday against the Washington Mystics at 3 o'clock. We look forward to that, our pregame show at 2.30. And we'll be talking uh, to the Olympians on the pregame show. And then uh, they bounce right back Tuesday, a two-game set against the Washington Mystics. So Sunday and Tuesday uh, happening here at the Michelob Ultra Arena at the Mandalay Bay. Uh, Bill, I'm sure fans uh, are, are still kind of curious about – What's going to be the policies about getting them, uh, you know, being able to expand the, uh, you know, patrons in the Mandalay Bay? Any word that you've heard about that? I know you're not in, technically involved in that part of it, really, but uh, what can you tell our, our listeners about that? Well, I believe as of yesterday, we're putting single-game tickets on sale. Uh, they're trying to mostly in a five-pack with five games left, and then once that goes, there'll be a four-pack and a three-pack. Uh, you know, and I'm not sure they're doing an individual game, but I know they're doing package sales for the games. I suspect they will go to individual games also. So it's wide open. Uh, you know, obviously in Nevada, you're going to have to wear a mask when you come to the game. But from a ticket sale perspective, they've opened up and they're trying to get many people in the stands as they can. You got it. All right. Hey, before we let you go, just real quick, you know, we're talking about the NBA Summer League here. That really wasn't in existence when you were playing. Uh, what was your summer like, like after you got drafted? Uh, again, totally different uh, set of circumstances now compared to what it was when you played. Well, no, actually, you know, my rookie year, uh, I was – I got a job by playing in the summer league I was drafted by Cleveland. So that was like in the first year or the first or the second year uh what was the summer league it was in Los Angeles. Um the over the course of time it's grown up a lot. Um I don't you know, I don't really pay attention to it. It's for the youngsters and the things like that. But I think it's a good thing. 
And especially for Las Vegas fans who like to come out and, and watch and play, I think it's a good tool for the younger players and especially for the coaches and general managers to evaluate different combinations of youngsters before they get training camp. You got it. All right, Bill, uh, we'll let you get back to it. Uh, we'll look forward to seeing you on Sunday, and good luck here in the second half. You got it. Thanks a lot. There he is, Bill Lambeer, the head coach of the Las Vegas Aces. Aces 15-6, 11 games left to play. They're sitting basically a game behind the Seattle Storm right now, but they do own that tiebreaker over the Storm. They've won two out of the three games uh, series. They don't face them again, but uh, I think a lot of people are thinking that could be the WNBA final uh, this year, uh, you know, once again. So we'll look forward to that. But, hey, Aces are back in action coming up on Sunday, and I know fans are are excited to get back. Only five home games left. Yeah, and it's in, interesting, too. And, and and I realize sometimes there are challenges to making a schedule, especially these days in that. But uh, to think that they're done with Seattle, but they haven't played Chicago yet, and they'll play yeah. them three of the last 11 games. But, you know, that, that's how it goes, and this is where you want to assess your team and see what it is. It will be interesting to see. And, of course, you'll have the front row seat for it doing the play-by-play for the game. But it's going to be interesting to see if, 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 if there is a little bit of sloppy play at the start when they come back with, with so many of the people, like he said. He's not worried about the people that went to Tokyo. Mm-hmm. He's worried about the other ones, you know. Right. Is the timing going to be a little bit off? Will they be a little bit, uh, you know, have they been doing the right things cardio on that? Because what's the one thing we always hear about in sports? You can't simulate game speed. So, you know, while the Olympians have been playing game speed, the rest of them have been working out and doing whatever they're supposed to, but they haven't played competitive basketball. Even though a team has played 21 games together, when you take basically five weeks off, I mean, there is no momentum that's carrying over. I mean, you have to start from scratch. It's, it's basically like another season. It's, it's totally different than, say, uh, the NBA after their all-star game. I mean, you're taking not even less than a week off. Major League Baseball, the exact same thing. You're taking a, a total of four or five days off. I mean, when you take five weeks off, I mean, literally, it's like, okay, we got to go back to training camp for practices this week. And, again, we got to wait for you know four of our olympians to come back from tokyo japan so it's going to be daunting it's going to be challenging and that's why i asked the question about fatigue because we know these players are tired i mean they've been playing at a very high level i know from a basketball perspective bill's thinking hey you know these guys are fine they're going to be okay but when you think about that fatigue factor i mean it's not like you're just you know you're playing here in the united states that's a long trek from tokyo well yeah with no rest yeah it's it's very different time zone wise than that and i know they've been back here for a little while but still your body has to assimilate and everything so yeah it it is going to be a challenge out there and we'll see how they perform like i say i'm i'm curious to see at the start of the games if we're going to see a little bit of sloppy play or if it's you know it's going to be back to business as usual yeah you know and, and i'll use another analogy when you're comparing it to the other sports in the NHL, when they take that one mandatory week where they're not even allowed to practice on the ice in that, one of the biggest uh, handicapping lines is bet against the teams that have been on the break against the other teams all the time because even that one week throws off the timing and everything else. So like you say, five weeks, that's an eternity in professional <laughs> sports. Yeah. All right, Aces and the Washington Mystics at the Michelob Ultra Arena, Mandalay Bay on Sunday. And again, uh, tickets are available for the public. That is the first time that that is happening this season. So I know fans have just been itching to get back and to support the Aces again. Uh, this is a playoff team, as we know. This is a team that was in the WNBA Finals last year when they played in the Wubble in Florida. And this is a team that is uh, going to be ready to roll in four Olympians. Uh, and if you come to the game on Sunday, you probably get a chance to see a little gold medal action from Asia Wilson, Chelsea Gray, Kelsey Plum, and Jackie Young as well, too. So, you know you're going to get a picture with some gold around your neck. No question. But I don't know if I'm going to do what they did. I mean, you know, they were, like, biting the gold. I don't know if I'll do that part. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, you, you, you're, That's a trendy thing. You, you're a foodie, and I don't think it uh, has your freshness and everything else that you're always looking for in the food. So, All right. I want to thank uh, Bill Lambier for uh, joining us this hour. Spencer Haywood back in the house, so he is going to join us. Sam Gordon also from the Las Vegas Review-Journal as well. I think Albert Hall going to stop by. We are here at the NBA Summer League. It is the T.C. Martin Show on this thunderous Thursday edition. Don't you dare go anywhere.